0: was a great way to start. You know what it showed me? It showed me this. It showed me at that friend day that people in this church uh, can love other people, invite them to church, and uh, to get them under the sound of the gospel. And I want to encourage you. I I mean, I thought it was tremendous. I thought it was a tremendous start. And you know what? That can be done throughout the year uh, as you get uh, to the Christmas holidays or you just come to a special day here at the church. You have an anniversary Uh, service that's coming up, but I want to encourage you as a church, you just keep reaching, you keep praying, you keep asking, and you keep doing what you can to influence people uh, for the sake of the gospel, and my heart was encouraged by that. I want to say I've been blessed by the fellowship this week, Uh, there's some that I've known for years, Uh, so good to see the slussers, I, I told Brother Eddie last night, I said, you know, it's such a blessing. Uh, to see people that you knew so many years ago that are just serving the Lord and just just staying true and uh, I, they knew me when I was single. I was a really poor soul then, all right. And, uh, but our families are growing up and it's just great to see people that don't turn to the left or the right. Brother Eddie, you've been a great encouragement to me this week. So I appreciate the time of fellowship. Some of you that we remember from the last time that we were here and I can tell people that there's a shining lighthouse, of the gospel in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, You know, there are people that come to this area, and you're finding it, it's sort of coming more and more true where I'm at. Uh, You you have people that are coming, and they're coming from all over. You know, this is no longer just like, you know, countryville. Like, you know, when I was growing up, you're just raised in a rural area, and it's just, it's grown up, but God's bringing people to you. And, you know, with every family that moves from another state or even another country, you know what? That's another family that God's put in closer proximity to the gospel uh, here at this church. And I hope you'll let your light shine. And uh, you've encouraged my heart this week. And uh, Pastor and his wife have been wonderful hosts. Um, You know, his sister works on staff uh, at Ambassador. She's on our music faculty. She says all kinds of bad things about him, but half of them aren't true, all right? So... And uh, but I sure appreciate uh, Pastor Schwank and his wife. They've been, you know, the Bible says that a pastor should be given to hospitality, and uh, you'll you'll find second to none uh, with your pastor and his wife, uh, sensitive to our needs, kind, and the fellowship has refreshed me greatly. I don't always get uh, this this phrase, pardon me, but let your hair down kind of thing, but I feel like this week, uh, whether it was sitting around their table whether it was here at the church or out to lunch with pastor talking about different things it's refreshing uh, to talk to people that have the same desire and the same goals and uh, so you folks have ministered to me in a great way whether it was vegetable soup or pastor's relentless picking sometimes so you got to watch that man and, uh, but anyway it's been a joy to be here pray for the ministry of Ambassador Baptist College I'll return home tomorrow uh, we have two days before our fall break uh, begins. The students have just survived midterms. So if you hear any weeping and wailing over the last week, it's come, the wind has blown just right from North Carolina. Our students are now finished with midterms. And our prayer is that God would raise up more young men and more young ladies to serve the Lord. That's our focus at Ambassador is training people for full-time Christian service. And God's blessed us with a good crew this year, but we need more. And when I say we need more, I really mean the world needs more. Uh, There are more places to be reached with the gospel. There are more church musicians that are needed, more Christian school teachers. And that's our heartbeat, that's our focus at Ambassador. You can always go to our website at ambassadors.edu to keep in touch with what God's doing at the school. Well, Romans chapter 10, I tried to talk a long time to give you enough time to find it tonight. If I'd didn't give you enough time, let me help you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and a long ways after, you're going to come to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10 this evening, I'd like to read just one verse for our text, and that's verse number one. Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And folks, do you know in this one verse, we find very readily and quickly something that was very dear to Paul's heart. Have you ever had your heart set on something before? Do you know what I mean by that? You just ever really had your heart set on something? Let me give you sort of a lighthearted illustration of it to sort of help you enter into the burden tonight. But I remember years ago, there was a friend of mine who was an avid deer hunter and after his first kill, Uh, he sent me a bag of deer jerky that he had made himself. He knew that I liked jerky, and so he sent me this package of deer jerky. I got it, I believe, on a Thursday or a Friday. And it arrived at my house, and when I opened it up, I opened it up with glee because there were two Ziploc bags chocked full of deer jerky. The only problem was is the next day I was leaving for a revival meeting and so I knew that I really wouldn't be able to enjoy it until after I got back from the following week. And so I took those two Ziploc bags and I put them down in the crisper uh, drawer of the refrigerator and I called my two sons from their upstairs room and those boys came downstairs and I looked at them and I said, Now, fellas, listen. Uh, A friend of your dad's has sent some uh, deer jerky. I said, there are two bags of deer jerky that are down in that crisper drawer and listen, I don't want you to touch it until I get home and then when I get home, we're going to have a feast. And they said, yes sir, dad. And I thought I spoke in English. I thought I spoke in clear, concise sentences. And so I left on that Saturday and you know, I know some of you think that we preachers, all we do is think about Bible verses and church And we never think about any pleasurable things whatsoever. But I did happen to find myself several times during that week sitting in a chair and this thought would come to my mind. I'd say, "Mm, boy, I can't wait to have some of that deer jerky. It's going to be good. And I found myself thinking that on several occasions. Saturday came, I got home, I bounded in through the garage, I kissed my wife, I walked in, opened the refrigerator door, and when I opened the door and I opened the crisper drawer, I was in disbelief. There were two empty Ziploc bags. So I immediately called down the guilty. And as they came down the stairs, they knew what they had done. Their shoulders were slumped, absolutely no eye contact. And I said to them, I said, Boys, i had been looking forward to this all week. My heart was set on it. And there's nothing left. And one of the boys spoke up and he said, Dad, we did leave you one piece. And the other one spoke up and said, No, I ate that too. (laughs) You know, there are a few moments of sadness in our household, but we live through it. The boys are still alive. One's a law enforcement officer. The other one is a a fireman. But, you know, I had my heart set on something. Have you ever had your heart set on something? Where you're just like, Maybe it was an activity or maybe it was something that you really wanted to do. I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't have your heart set on anything. But I am here to tell you that every Christian in this room ought to know what it means to have your heart set on someone. If you're a Christian here tonight, I'd like to ask you a question. When's the last time somebody was on your heart and your desire for that individual was to be saved and you prayed specifically for their salvation? I'm afraid that even Christians, we get so enamored with things that we lose sight of people. We're so concerned about physical needs that we fail to see the souls of men. And you know what? I believe that evangelistic efforts ought to be preceded by evangelistic praying. And tonight, I want to challenge you to have a heart like the Apostle Paul. Tonight, I pray that God would bring people before your minds that are precious to you. And that you'd leave here tonight with a burden to see them saved unlike any other time in your life. When I read chapter 10 and verse 1, Paul's telling me there's something on my heart and that something was actually a someone. It was the entire nation of Israel, his kinsmen according to the flesh. And so tonight I want to divide it up into three areas to help you see Paul's burden tonight. The first thing I want you to see is I want you to see the aspect of family. That's appropriate tonight. We've seen an aspect of family, all of these Uh, all of these uh, children and grandchildren of the Robertsons up here before us tonight. And you see family. We've seen an illustration of what a physical family is. But it's interesting in this verse, the first thing that Paul addresses is when he says brethren, he's talking to his spiritual family. Now, I'm going to do it a little bit backwards tonight. First of all, we, usually we talk about physical family and we talk about spiritual family. But tonight, the very first thing that Paul addresses is his spiritual family when he says brethren. Now, I am a little humored. You know, down in the south, in the southern churches, we have a greater propensity to call brother and sister. Uh, you know, sometimes I've gone out west and gone up north and I use the term brother and somebody just looks at me like we're not related. Uh, you know, in the South, the word brother in a church is a great cop-out. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you remember me? And you can say, brother, I think I do, you know. And then you play the game and you try to figure out who is that. But did you know that if you're here tonight and you're a child of God, that you're a part of a family? That's why I believe you ought to go to church. Listen, just like it's not good for a husband and wife to be separated a lot and children, it's not good good for a spiritual family to be separated. And the day that you got saved, you became a child of God. He put you into a family. I was raised as an only child, but the day I got saved, I gained a lot of brothers and sisters. and Paul is talking to his spiritual family here are these Roman believers and he's and he's about to open up and tell them something that's very important to him. You know, I see it in my family sometimes my daughter and my wife will be talking and when I walk by all of a sudden they get really quiet. And, you know, they're just talking about girl things, you know, and daughters confiding. And I just don't want you to hear it, Dad. Mom understands better than you. And I get it. I understand. My boys were probably the same way with me when Mom walked by. But you know what Paul was doing? Paul was saying, this is very dear to my heart. And he opens himself up really in sort of a vulnerable way, if you want to use that terminology. And he says, you know what, to my spiritual family, he said, there's something that's really important to me and I want you to hear what it is. And he said, it's that my physical family that that it's uh, Israel might be saved. Now, Paul talks about his spiritual family He pours his heart out to them and he says, here's what I really want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about my physical family, Israel. I'm praying for them to be saved. Listen, every person in this room has physical family. You're here tonight and you say, well, I was adopted. You know, I have had friends of mine who were adopted and they still have physical family, some of which maybe they've never met, others they have. But all of us knows what it's like to have our own flesh and blood. And Paul said, you know, there's something that's very dear to me. And he said, that's my physical family. In Romans chapter 9, we'll see a little bit later, he talks about my kinsmen according to the flesh. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, if I could have anything, this is what I'd want to see. I'd want to see my own flesh and blood saved. You know, if anybody ought to be precious to you tonight, it ought to be your family. And I want to ask you, Christian, when's the last time? When is the last time that in your mind you thought about your own flesh and blood or we could even expand it tonight to co-workers, neighbors and such. When's the last time you were burdened for your own flesh and blood and you said, Lord God, would you please save this individual? Lord, would you please work in the hearts of my loved ones? He talks about his physical family. So the first thing you see tonight, Paul talks about family. But the second thing that I want you to see this evening is that Paul talks about a feeling. When he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now I know you have to be careful when you're talking about feeling. Uh, Feeling is something that if you live and die by feeling, listen, it will kill you in in the long run. You say, what do you mean? I've met some people and that's how they live, that's how they die, by feeling. They're up and they're down. And I understand that I have my ups and I have my downs. If you think I'm on the plateau of perfection all the time, I have my ups and downs. But sometimes our feelings get the best of us and they contradict what we know and our lives become a roller coaster." You know, I've had friends of mine through the years that have struggled with their salvation and they begin to overthink and they begin to overanalyze and before you know it, they let their feelings take a superiority over the Bible and and their lives were in chaos. So I'm not saying tonight that you ought to live by feeling or that that you ought to live by it totally. Um, I'll tell you if I lived by feeling tonight I would already be in jail because when I drive down the interstate and somebody cuts me off if I did what I felt sometimes it'd be bad now I know some of you are looking at me and you're like well you're a man of the cloth and I'm like Paul was too and he said the things that I would do I don't do And I mean he's like I just got it all mixed up Paul had flesh too I'm not using that as an excuse tonight. I'm just saying that in this room, we're a bunch of people that if we are led by our feelings, it's a roller coaster. But I will tell you, just as I would tell you that your feelings should not run your life, can I tell you as a Christian, your life is not devoid of feeling either. I heard a preacher say it this way. He said, Christianity should not be emotion-led, but he said, neither is it emotionless. Now some robots may take me to task on that, but I would say my soul if the heavens if the angels in heaven can rejoice over a person that's saved there's no reason why you can't either. Sometimes we all show our emotions differently. there's some people that are very outgoing. there are other people that are very subdued but listen whether it's a raised hand and an amen or it's just a simple nod of the head with a smile we all have emotion we all have feelings well, tonight I want to tell you a feeling that I believe every Christian should feel. And that the reason I say every Christian should feel it was because Paul felt it when he said, my heart's desire. He was talking about the innermost part of his soul. He was talking about a longing that he had. And so I'm not here to work your feelings up in a frenzy tonight. I'm not here to make you feel guilty just because you're not the most emotional person. But I promise you this, if we as Christians don't have a strong desire or a feeling in our hearts to see our loved ones saved, then my friend, we're cold. And every once in a while, God has to warm our hearts and God has to show us the coldness of our hearts. When's the last time that you've had that strong feeling and that strong desire to see a loved one saved? Now I'm going to be honest. There are times we get so caught up with the material things of this life that everybody else passes off the scene and the souls of men become a distant object. But my friend, tonight God is trying to show us through the Apostle Paul that there must be a desire in the hearts of his children to see people saved. Look with me back in Romans chapter 9. You probably don't even have to turn, but just a page, if at all, in your Bibles. I want you to see Paul's desire for the nation of Israel. I want you to see how it's described. Chapter 9 verse 1, he said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Now I want to stop there for a moment. Paul said there's something that makes me very heavy. There's something that makes me very sad when I think about it. And here's what it is, verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying that if I could wish this, he said I would wish that myself were accursed. In other words, that myself was forever separated from God so that my own flesh and blood would be saved. That's a pretty strong desire. As a kid, where I was raised, there was a proprietor of a hardware store. His name was W.B. Sharp. I loved going to W.B. Sharp's store because there was hardware all in it. It's just that nobody knew where it was at. But I always loved going by the knife case And uh, I'd see that he would have an assortment of buck knives there. You'd see them laying on top of the boxes. And as a kid, I would just sit there and I I would look into that case. And, you know, after leaving W.B. Sharp's hardware store, I might look over to my friend and I might say something like this. I'd give my right arm for that knife. You ever heard anybody make a statement like that? That's just sort of a Figure of speech. I'll assure you, if W.B. had hopped over the counter and grabbed me up with a knife and said, All right, let's cut your arm off. I I didn't really mean that. It's a figure of speech, W. B. But have you ever heard anybody say that? Say, I'd give my right arm for that, or I would give this for that. Let me tell you what Paul said. Paul didn't say, I'd give my right arm for them to be saved. Paul said, I'd give my soul. That's a pretty deep desire, isn't it? And can I make an admission to you this evening? There's been times in my life that you know what? When my heart has waxed cold for the souls of men and when I would read a phrase like that for the Apostle Paul I couldn't help but bow my head in conviction. You know we have desires for a lot of things. You know, I desire... You know, and I found... You know, as a teenager you have desires, but as an adult you have desires. The only difference is is your desires are more expensive. You know, as a kid it's a PlayStation. As a... You know, as an adult it's a brand new car, or truck, or a boat, or whatever. But when's the last time you've had a desire in your heart to see those who ought to be closest to you saved? Paul said... My heart's desire, and then he says, and prayer to God. You know what i found? i found that what we pray about is often the things that are closest to our hearts. There's a lot of things to pray about. You know, most churches, Pastor, I don't know what you do here, but most churches would have like a Wednesday night prayer meeting. They have a prayer sheet. Some churches have that, some don't, but... And by the way, if there's anything like that here, I've not snooped around and found it so I could examine it and make it an example tonight. So please, just throw that out of your mind. But, you know, sometimes you go to a church and you'll see a physical prayer list that's like, yay long. You know, I think it's just the fact that I'm getting older, but I see the word cancer and heart attack and so many other things. And should we pray for those things? Why, sure. I'll tell you what, if I wind up in the hospital with a heart issue, I want you praying for me. I'm not here to tell you that we shouldn't be praying for physical needs, but here's the sad reality. So many times we are so consumed with praying for the physical and our spiritual prayer lists are about like this. when's the last time you've prayed for a specific person in your family or let's just say within your reach to be saved? Lord, I need to pay the bills. Lord, I need you to fix this house and car. Lord, I need you to give me a good day. Lord, I need you to give me this and give me that. And then, oh, by the way, Lord, yeah, would you save this person? I think when that happens in our lives, it's the wrong way. I think it's the wrong trend. Because people ought to mean something to us in their souls. There may be some of you tonight, you say, Brother Bill, I tried that, but it didn't work. Well, it may be that you didn't try it long enough. You say, what do you mean? You know, my wife, uh, when we first got married, I learned about her grandparents. And here's something humorous that I found. Uh, I used to think that there were only rednecks in the South. But I've learned there are rednecks in Pennsylvania, Indiana, Michigan. They may talk a little differently than I do, but they still have the same redness on their neck and the same foolish propensities that all of us have. And I learned that my wife's grandparents, they were just, even though their dialect was a little different than mine, they were rednecks too. But I'll tell you, my wife's grandparents were very antagonistic towards the things of the Lord. They got to the point where they did not want any of their children or grandchildren to say anything to them about God. When my mother-in-law got saved and she started trying to tell her parents what Jesus had done for her, eventually they looked at her and they said, Lydia, would you stop giving us these little pamphlets? We don't want any more of those. Stop that. We don't want it. Just leave us alone. We don't want any of that church stuff. And so early on in our marriage, my wife, a constant prayer request of hers would be this. She'd say, please pray for Grandma and Grandpa Himes to be saved. And when our two boys, especially when they were smaller, we would gather together at night. We'd close out a day and we'd just have a word of prayer and we're in the bedroom and I'd look at the boys and I'd say, Now, boys, what do you want to pray for tonight? And inevitably, almost every night, one of those boys would pipe up and they'd say, Pray for Grandma and Grandpa Himes to be saved. Now, really, it was their great-grandma and great-grandpa, but I'm not going to teach them ancestry at that age. I'm like, you know, I, Lord, you know what they mean. But I mean, it was out fell. It was like almost every night we'd pray and they'd be like, one of them would just, just squeak up in that voice, Please pray for Grandma and Grandpa Himes to be saved. Then, you know, there were a few times where I wanted to look at them and say, would you just stop saying that? To say, Listen, I, I think you're in a rut here. Let's mix it up. There were certain times where I might try to you know, edge them towards other things. It's not that I didn't want them to pray for Grandma and Grandpa Himes. It was just I felt like, okay, it's just like the thing to say. But if anything, those two boys were a constant, just drip every night every night and you're talking about two of the hardest people in Pennsylvania they had declared that they wanted nothing with to do with God when my wife and her parents would go up there was a brick wall that was erected and we just kept praying and praying and praying and praying and then one day my wife got a call from her mom and said you're not going to believe what happened last night By this point, Grandma and Grandpa Himes both have cancer. Grandpa Himes has lung cancer. Grandma Himes has cancer of the blood, multiple myeloma. And my friend, if you're here listening to this tonight and you're not saved, I just want to tell you God has a way of capturing your attention. I'm not saying that every illness is how that happens. Listen, there are saved people that get sick, lost people that get sick. But I'm convinced of this. God is intimately involved in your life with every detail and He's trying to get your attention sometimes to draw you to Himself. And one night while he was sitting there, Grandpa Himes lifted up and he picked up one of those pamphlets that his daughter had given him through the years. And he read it. And when he finished, he looked over at his wife and he said, Honey, he said, I need to do what this says. She grabbed it out of his hand and said, Let me see that. And after she read it, she looked at her husband and she said, You know what, Henry? I do too. And then Henry Jr., who was at the house in the living room, he said, Let me see that. And he grabbed it. And after reading it, he looked at his parents and he said, And I do too. And do you know that that night, in a matter of minutes, three of the hardest people in that county in Pennsylvania called on Jesus Christ to save them. Henry Jr., the other, the mom and the, the, the uh, grandma and the grandpa, they only lived for just a short season after that. One passed away and then another. Henry would end up being in an independent Baptist church driving a bus bringing boys and girls to church. But every time I think about grandma and grandpa Hines, my mind goes back to two high-pitched voices That sometimes got on my nerves. And God taught me a lesson. There may be some of you tonight, maybe you're new to the faith and you say, you know what? I have never really prayed for people to be saved. All right, here's my word of admonition to you start tonight. I may be talking to some here, listen, you've been saved for years, but it's been a long time since you've prayed. Listen, my friend, you make up for lost time. Paul prayed for the salvation of his loved ones, and we should too. And you know what? There may be some of you tonight, you say, I am praying, and I have prayed, and I am praying, and I have prayed. My message to you is keep it up. Because I'm telling you, if God can work in the heart of Grandma and Grandpa Himes, I know God can work in the heart of your loved ones. There may be some of you tonight, maybe you're here and you know, a wonderful thing about visiting for a week is a lot of times you don't know who's home folk, who's visiting, who's regular, irregular, or what. It's just great to be ignorant. I don't know, there may be some of you here tonight and, and you've had instances where maybe you knew that one of your family members was praying for you and you knew what that meant. Like, I hate it when they say that. I'm praying for you. I know they're praying for me to be saved or maybe they're praying for you to get right with God. And you know, listen, I get it. I understand. In our pride, we walk away from that and we're like, man, I wish they'd just lay off and pray for somebody else. Well, can I ask you to do something? Instead of seeing it from your perspective, would you stop just a minute and see it from theirs? Do you honestly think that they come up to you that awkward moment and say, I'm praying for you because they just want to tick you off? Have you ever thought that maybe you're so precious to them that they can't escape thinking about you? And maybe instead of just balling up in your stubborn pride, you ought to let the love of a mom or a dad or a loved one usher you to the love of God. There may be somebody here tonight. You've had family praying for you. They've either prayed for you to be saved or they've prayed for you to get right with God. Instead of being aggravated with them, why don't you get aggravated at the devil and run to Jesus? Number one, he talks about family. Number two, he talks about a feeling. But the last thing he talks about is a focus. And you see it at the end of the verse... When he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be rich. No, that's not it. We have a little gas station that's right up the road from the college. It's a Circle K and so I'm on the Sip and Save Club. You go pay them six bucks and you get a free drink every day. They're losing money off of me. I'm just religious about it. Go give me that 44-ounce soda. And some of you are like, that's going to put you in the grave. Well, that's a story for another time, all right? But, you know, I absolutely hate it when I'm standing in that line to get my free drink. All i got to do is punch in my phone number and somebody ahead of me buys these lottery tickets. And they don't do it quickly. I want a three, a seven. No, 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 no. Two eights. Whatever that means. I'm like, life's too short to stand here. And the, I know these people are trying to get rich, and I'm like, all you're doing is just flushing your money, playing this game. It's a little give and a little take, but they're going to do a lot more taking than giving. That's how they stay in business. You know, some people they just really strive to be, you know, they want to be rich. That's their, I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to be popular. Paul's desire was for none of that. He said, if I could have any one thing, I'd want my loved ones to be saved. But we live in a day and time where there are a lot of people that don't know what that means, be saved. If you went to Nashville, you walk down the street and you grabbed a random person, you might grab somebody and say, are you saved? And they'd look at you and say, saved from what? Especially if they've not been raised in church. Atheism and agnosticism is on the rise in this country. People are less and less familiar. If you said, are you born again? They'd say, I don't know what that is. Just like Nicodemus did in John 3. Don't understand it. When Paul said that his prayer was for them to be saved, he was talking about their sins being forgiven, being delivered from eternal torment as we preached last night and being a child of God and experiencing everlasting life. That's salvation. Do you have it? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have it? The world says focus on money. The world says focus on popularity. Tonight God says focus on eternity. You know, I'd probably have to say that maybe one of the most vivid memories that I have of anybody being on my heart was my dad I was not raised in a Christian home there was a lot of verbal abuse there was a lot of alcohol that flowed in my childhood, in my home I was exposed to scenes that I would never wish for any other kid to be exposed to you know what was amazing to me is in the midst of that environment, God sent some people by my house when I was 10 years old and they started picking me up on a church van and every Sunday morning became a safe haven for me. I left the smoke and the alcohol and the screaming for a few hours and I'd go to church and see people smile. Now I may hear a preacher scream once in a while, but he was telling the truth. You know what, after two years of that, you know what, I got saved. And no sooner than I got saved, one of the first people that God put on my heart was my dad. My dad told me, he said, all Christians are hypocrites. That's why I don't go. And I used to think, why do you send me to church then? But anyway, I didn't know. After I got saved, I'd start telling dad about what happened to me, and he'd say, I, and finally he got to the point where he's like, That's it, don't talk to me about that anymore, stop it. And it really pained me as a child because I felt like what happened to me, I wanted to happen to him. But I found my hands sort of a little tied because he asked me to stop, and I did. But I remember one night the pastor of our church, he saw me on a Sunday night, and he said, Alton, he said, would you like me to come by and visit your dad sometime? And I looked at him, I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I knew the church went out visiting on Saturdays and Thursday nights, and he said, well, I'll be by on Thursday night. I was like, okay, good. I remember it was already in the fall of the year going towards the winter time, because it was getting dark earlier in the day. And sure enough, that Thursday came, I got off the school bus about 4 o'clock, and I didn't tell my parents a thing. Because people get conveniently gone when they know the preacher's coming, and sure enough, just a little after seven, headlights pull into our driveway and park. And two men—the pastor and another man from the church—they come in. They come. We lived in a mobile home. They knocked on the door. I'll never forget. My mom opened the door, and here these two men stood. One of them was the preacher. And she looked up and they said, Hey, we're here. We just wanted to come visit with you tonight. You mind if we stepped in? And my mom looked over at my dad with that look of, I've got to let them in, so let's be happy about it. I remember the preacher, as the preacher and that man came in, I still remember my dad reaching up and grabbing the beer can that was on the end table and putting it behind the leg of the chair so the preacher wouldn't see it. And I still remember as a as just a young boy sitting there and I listened to that preacher talk to my dad about the gospel and I'm going to tell you for about 30 minutes I felt like my heart was going to beat out of my chest because after I got saved one of the the roughest man that I knew in life was the one that God gave me a heart for to see saved and I got shut down. I'll never forget when the pastor was done. He looked at my dad, got down on one knee. He said, Mr. Beale, won't you be saved tonight? And my dad, he told him something that even to this night it still haunts me. I can hear it. He just looked at him and he said, you know what, I'm just not ready. And afterwards the pastor and the man left and I'll admit I went to bed a little broken hearted that night. It would just be a couple of years later. My dad passed away at the age of 15. Somebody said, how did he die? He basically drank himself in the grave. I still remember just a few months before his passing, he was reading a New Testament, and any time I'd try to ask him about it, he pushed me away, so I don't want to talk about it. And I tell people this. They say, you believe your dad ever got saved? I said, I can't tell you that he did, but I can tell you this. I saw God working in the heart of a man who'd been so hardened towards God, and so I know God was working. I just don't know what happened. But ladies and gentlemen, when my dad passed away, it's it's probably one of the first times I stood at a casket as a 15-year-old boy. And there was my dad's body. Now I'm gonna tell you, I wasn't a perfect son. And I had a lot of shortcomings, but I'm going to tell you one thing when I stood at that casket that I was very thankful for, and that was while I, after I got saved, I had a heart to see my dad saved, and I had prayed to that end. And while it doesn't answer the question in my heart, is He in heaven or is He in hell? God is the ultimate judge. I will tell you at least one thing that comforts me is I knew in what time we had together, there was a time that God worked in my heart and I had a desire to see Him saved and I acted upon it. Folks, I don't know how much time your loved one has. For that matter, I don't know how much time you have or I have. But I think tonight it's high time for us to return to having people on our hearts. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Will you leave here with somebody on your heart tonight? Let's bow our heads together and pray. As we're bowed together before the Lord tonight, I'd just like to say a few things and give you an opportunity to respond to the working of the Holy Spirit. Are there any people in this room tonight, and you would say, Alton, I have had family members tell me, I'm praying for you, and when they say that, it really galls me. Maybe somebody's come up to you and they say they're praying for you and you hear it and you say, boy, instead of it making me happy, it just makes me angry. And maybe tonight God has opened your eyes to help you understand why they say that. They're not saying that because they want to make you angry. They're saying that because they love you. And I wonder, when it comes to salvation, I wonder if there's some here tonight, you'd say, Alton, I know, I've had friends, our church members, our loved ones say to me, they're praying for me, and I know what they mean by that. They're praying for me to be saved, and you'd say, tonight, now I understand why they're saying it. And instead of running from God, I'm ready to run to Him tonight. You'd say, Alton, I'm in this service tonight. I know that there are people who pray for me to be saved. And I've held out. I have run. But just as God got a hold of Grandpa and Grandma Himes' heart, Lord, God is getting a hold of mine tonight. You'd say, Alton, I know I have loved ones who are praying for me to be saved. And I've been running and tonight I need to stop. And I know tonight God wants to answer their prayer. And you'd say, Alton, I need to be saved tonight. Would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up long enough for me to see it? I'm not going to embarrass you. I am going to pray for you in just a moment. You'd say, Alton, tonight I know I have family members praying for me to be saved. And this evening, God is working in my heart. I know that I need to be saved. Would you please remember me in prayer? Anybody like that as I wait just a moment? All right. My last question is to Christians here this evening. I wonder how many Christians here tonight you'd say, Alton, God has dealt in my heart about this matter of having somebody on my heart. And it could be in one of three ways. You may be here and you say, Alton, I've really never prayed for my lost family members to be saved. And tonight I see the need to do that and I want to start tonight. That may be some of you there may be others of you and you'd say you know Brother Bill I have prayed for some of my loved ones in the past but I'm going to tell you I've really lost sight and I've gotten discouraged and tonight that's really not been the case and, and God's convicted me of that and there may be others of you here and you'd say Alton I've got some people that are very dear on my heart and I feel like my heart is going to burst I've been praying for them and I know that I need to continue doing so wherever you fit in that spectrum I wonder if there are Christians here tonight, you'd say, Alton, God has dealt in my heart about having someone on my heart. God knows the need tonight. Would you pray for me to do my part tonight? If that's you, Christian, would you slip your hand up this evening? There should be a number here tonight. Thank you. You may put them down. In just a moment, we're going to stand together. You know at the end of the service we have a time of invitation it may be that you need to kneel it may be that you stand quietly where you're at but I want to encourage you don't you leave this place without calling their name to God tonight. Don't wait until you get home you can start tonight and when the invitation is given I want to invite you to enter into the end of that burden that the apostle Paul had. I hope you will. If you're able, would you join me in standing? Our heads are bowed.